0: The way your thoughts operate can only process a certain amount of scale and complexity. But if you hang around someone who can process and organize and deal with more complexity than you, you can update the way you think as well and process complexity. So when you talk with someone who has dealt with a higher level of complexity than you, you should really focus on how they talk, the words they use, how they structure ideas, and that will definitely upgrade your thinking OS.
1: Japan Hello everyone and welcome to the Business Success Japan Podcast. This is your host, Liddy Biekelman. This podcast is made for those who want to develop or strengthen the communication skills, cultural savvy, insights into current trends and conditions, and mindsets that are essential in a Japanese business environment. The helpful, practical suggestions and engaging insights offered here provide listeners with the in-depth cultural context needed to achieve their own version of success while collaborating with Japanese counterparts. Today, I get to share an interview with Tyson Bettino. Tyson is a native of Hawaii who came to Japan as an English teacher, worked in human resources, and ultimately founded three companies in Japan. He now coaches founders who want to scale their businesses, but we'll hear much more about his work during the interview. You'll definitely want to stick around for that. But before we hear more from Tyson, let's go over a little bit of Japanese. In the previous episode, we learned the word for recruiting. kyu U-ji-n-kyu-jin. This week, I want to introduce a word that most people with any familiarity with Japan likely already knows, because it underlies so much of how interpersonal relationships are structured in Japan. Senpai. i Senpai. Senpai. If you look at the description of the episode, you'll be able to see what it means based on the kanji, as they can roughly be translated as a head comrade or something similar. In practice, a senpai is typically someone who's your senior or ahead of you at work or school. While the concept is somewhat different than the topic of mentorship that is discussed in today's episode, your relationships with your senpai can be an invaluable source of support and inspiration if managed well.
0: Hey everyone! My name is Tyson Battino. I'm originally from Hawaii. I've been in Japan for about 17 years now. And I co-founded uh, multiple companies. But my most successful one is called one Coin English. And we have 11 locations. I think about 160 to 200 employees at the moment. And yeah, I think we're officially either the seventh or eighth biggest English school chain in Japan for adults after GABA.
1: So, then can you tell us a little bit about your history with Japan coming from Hawaii?
0: Sure. So, I originally came with a large English conversation school called JIOS, which no longer exists. And I taught in the boondocks for about one and a half years. Uh, They sent me to a place that has snow each year which uh, was something I couldn't get used to. So I moved down to slightly warmer climates in Nara and taught at the elementary school for maybe four years, Uh, or sorry, three years. Then I went to Japanese school for one year and passed JLPT, Uh, realized I didn't want to do translation, taught for one more year and moved to Tokyo and luckily, I think in 2010, I got, I joined Interact, which is, uh, they have around 3,000, I think, full time teachers in Japan. So I think they're the biggest, one of the biggest employers of uh, Westerners in Japan. And I got promoted as a manager, trainer. And I'll say that's really when my business career started. And uh, I was put in charge of the biggest education department in Japan, which is Yokohama City. I rocked it out for one year and uh, did a total of uh, three years in Interac as a manager, but pretty much did what I could and then started OneCoin English, which was luckily I was introduced to my co-founder by an employee who I managed at Interact. I saved his butt on a couple occasions, and he more than repaid the debt (laughs) with the introduction. Can
1: you tell us why you decided to not go into translation? Was there any specific reason for that?
0: I think some people are built for it. I am not. And to be specific, I like talking to people. And I like doing visually creative work. So, translation was not the most suitable uh, work for me. Also, I like, I prefer to watch videos, for example, lectures, listening to podcasts, but I have a really hard time reading books and focusing. So, I think someone who can read books, uh, loves books, can focus on the written word and do it for hours on end. Is suitable for translation.
1: Yes, I would probably agree with that. <laughs> you don't want to get involved <laughs> in a career that's not well suited to your
0: interests. That's for sure.
1: So you mentioned starting several businesses, but how, where did you end up now? What are you doing now?
0: So I guess how I the I guess I would say my entrepreneur career started with OneCoin English in two thousand thirteen. I worked as a HR director for the foreigner side, uh, did recruitment, management, training, built the curriculum. And pretty much from day one, uh, we were planning to go national and take over Japan, which we still will if it wasn't for COVID, but it's gonna happen. And uh, so we've been prepared for that. Uh, But then what happened was uh, we had the Japanese system and the foreigner system and you can't really have a, two different HR systems, two different operational systems. So uh, I uh, I had managed to train all the people under me. So I had a rec- recruitment department leader, I had training managers, and uh, basically I just trained them and passed everything to them. And I started our subsidiary company, Japan Switch, in December 2018, uh, built that up really quickly until COVID hit, but uh, I'm still running that now as the director of Japan Switch. And we have two locations. Yeah, actually, so in April, our COO stepped down and I wasn't the COO, but I took over operations while running Japan Switch simultaneously. And uh, uh, sorry for kind of rambling, but it's been uh, such a crazy, Three years, Uh, meaning with the second business, uh, I think I built it up to around half a million in revenue in one year, being a morning only, beginner only Japanese language school, (laughs) which was insane. I I worked insanely hours to do that. Then COVID hit. Then uh, I worked, continued to work kind of like, you know, 60, 70 hours a week just to make sure we could grow the business in covid since we were a physical location then uh, right when i got the japanese school growing and uh so we're actually bigger than we were pre covid and uh once that finally settled down our our coo had to set down then i'm like can i ever get a time to take a break then i ran operations for about 6 months and uh also had to pull in crazy hours cuz there's just so many parts of our operations that needed to be uh, more centralized, more coordinated, and kind of, you know, improve uh, communication insight. But uh, during the operations kind of burnt me out. And uh, my wife had to move to Hokkaido for a family reasons. So right now, I'm running the Japanese language school Japan Switch for uh, half my week. And on the rest of the week, I created my third company called Scaling Your Company, which I help business owners with HR, recruitment, operations, and marketing. Since I've done all of those roles, and I can help a company scale up to the 5 to 10 million range in each of those areas.
1: Thank you for breaking that down a little bit for us, especially these past three years. I'm sure that things have been a little bit
0: crazy. (laughs) Oh, but yes, uh, do you feel like you've been
1: able to reclaim a little bit of time back, just maybe having some physical distance from Tokyo now?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's helped a lot. Uh, I would say definitely helps a lot. Because when I was running operations, I had like about uh, 100 to like 100 requests a month. And we could probably only do about 20 requests a month. So like the demand for... Uh, things to get done versus uh, the resources was a quite, there was a quite a big imbalance. So it's, it was crazy doing that. But now that I was able to pass operations to someone else, so you, you'll continue to hear this trend where I'm doing something, then I train someone, then I pass them to do it. And I move on to the next thing it repeats itself again and again. But uh, yeah, now that I've been able to pass that with, with Japan switch, a lot of it, because we only have about 250 students and let's say the scale isn't so or for mine it's not so big, it's pretty easy to run. And also with my coaching business, most of the challenges that my clients bring to me, it's uh, pretty easy. So it's uh, I can do things really quickly now and yeah, I'm enjoying not having to work 60 to 80 hours a week for the first time in a very long time.
1: Right. (laughs) I'm sure that that's a big relief now.
0: Right now I can focus on being effective Mm -hmm. instead of working hard.
1: Hence the learning new things, establishing systems, and then passing it on to the next person. (laughs) (laughs) Way back when we were kind of brainstorming what to talk about in this conversation, you mentioned to me that you feel like you had a little bit of a slow start with your career when it came to education. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about that and how you overcame it?
0: I originally came as a teacher and I taught for a total of around 6 years, I believe. So when I joined Interact as a manager, I was so I got my first I would say real business position at the age of 28, and I had no formal training in, you know, how to write business emails how to do presentations, uh, how to do business communication, how to do business planning. Everything started from, you know, square one. So I was lucky that uh, the team I worked with was very friendly. I think they were all in a similar boat so they could sympathize (laughs) with, you know, starting from zero. So they supported me a lot with that. And I was lucky to have a mentor as well and this is a very unconventional thought. And I'm surprised, like, I've never heard anyone else say this, but my mentor makes made more money than I did. Quite a bit more money than I did. But I actually bought him lunch every week. So one of the ways I overcame... Uh, so I did have a slow start. And I know you want to ask, like, how I overcame it. But one way I overcame it was by buying lunch for my mentor, who definitely made more money than me, uh, was a step higher than me, but I was paying for the education and just to be around him to absorb his knowledge. And I think that probably saves me, even though I worked there for three years, I would say that saved me like one year of education, just by going to lunch with him for like, Let's say six months.
1: So it's important to invest in your relationships. And sometimes that's in a little bit more of a literal sense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I think it's uh I think a lot of people, I've noticed this myself. It's they have this bias where if someone makes more money than you, they're the one who should be paying. So the richer person is the one who has to pay is a bias that I think a lot of people have. And I think it's actually should be the opposite. If you have a manager. You should be taking them out for lunch and treating them because the education you're going to get from that one hour is way worth way more than that 1,000 yen lunch.
1: Well, could you tell us a little bit more about how you made sure to get the most out of that time that you had with your mentor? What are some strategies or mindsets that you used?
0: Uh, I always had a notebook ready with me. so it'll be kind of weird like we'll be walking to a restaurant and I had a notebook and a pen attached to it but every time we met there always was a purpose meaning there was some challenge that I was facing and I wanted to hear his opinion on how he would solve that challenge
1: Mm, yeah that's great have intention and be prepared to record what you're learning
0: (laughs) definitely and also it's uh Uh, taking a note of what happened as a result of that, then also following up with what happened and see uh, what my mentor would say in response to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would also ask him a lot about, you know, what are you working on? What are the challenges you're facing? Uh, How do you plan to solve that? And just really trying to absorb the way he thought. Uh, And the reason I think this is important, which I didn't know at the time was When you have less experience or let's say less experience solving problems or the way your thoughts operate can only process a certain amount of scale and complexity. But if you hang around someone who can process and organize and deal with more complexity than you, you can update the way you think as well and process complexity. Because uh, when you scale your business... Things just get much more complicated because there's much more people. Uh, there's layers of—I don't know the correct term for it—but uh, there is uh, layers between you and other staff. So, for example, when uh, I was the director at the company I found, OneCoin English, I think there's around four to four layers of managers between me and the ground level staff. And so, when you have that much layers, it creates so much complexity. So when you talk with someone who has dealt with a higher level of complexity than you, than you, you should really focus on how they talk, the words they use, uh, how they structure ideas, and that will definitely upgrade your thinking OS.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to think about it, because when you're facing challenging or overwhelming situations, it can be really easy to kind of get wrapped up internally in dealing with it when In reality, you can learn a lot more about how to deal with it if you look outside yourself.
0: Or luckily, I had a mentor who uh, was very fond of me and invested a lot of time with me because I was a person who was easy to train. Mm. And uh, so I guess one thing is if you do find a mentor. So if you do something good, you don't need a strut to your mentor because uh, your mentor has done things at a much higher level than you. So anything you strut about isn't really that impressive. I would say the best way to, uh, if you do find someone who is interested, I would say listen and avoid strutting because uh, when you strut with someone at a higher level, it you're kind of wasting their time. And uh, what I mean by that is, uh, uh, so I, I do talk with entrepreneurs from time to time and like, I think for half the conversation, they'll like continue to try to brag about their successes. And from my point of view, it's like, oh, this is totally wasting my time because uh, it's uh, it's not that it's not interesting. It's uh, I don't really learn anything from it, so it's not really that interesting from my end. And uh, But if it was something that I've never done before, that would be very interesting, and I would probably ask you a lot of questions. But uh, if your mentor or the person you, you would like to be mentored by is not asking you questions, it probably means you're talking too much.
1: If you're busy trying to impress your mentor, you're probably not posturing yourself as someone who's teachable.
0: <laughs> exactly. If you're if you're talking about your successes, instead of asking me questions, I feel you're wasting my time. Mm. It's, uh, let's say, because the way to grow is to solve problems. And rather, let's say, if you spend your time asking your mentor about problems you're struggling with, you'll grow faster and they can feel like they're actually providing you value. But if you're just trying to strut or trying to get validation, it's uh you're misunderstanding the relationship. It's uh with the mentor mentee relationship. It's a problem solving relationship. It's not, let's say, receiving validation or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll give a good example, but uh, I oftentimes get entrepreneurs and they're like, Oh yeah. Like, uh, like I'm really killing it doing this type of marketing. And, and let's say they'll go on for like, try. I, I'm nice about sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll interrupt, but like 10, 20 minutes. And it's like, you just wasted 20 minutes. You could have asked me to, solve, I, we, we could have solved two big problems in this time.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense.
0: I guess the last one is, uh, one of my friends uh, invented smartphone swipe technology. So pretty much anything anyone does doesn't really compare (laughs) don't waste your time strutting and just uh let's say people at a higher level they have friends who have done crazy things so don't waste your time strutting
1: so then if you were speaking with somebody and they've mentioned that they also feel like they are somehow behind in some aspects of life either with career or education what would you say to people who are just kind of seeing themselves as late bloomers?
0: I'm really glad you asked this question because uh, I think this is something, uh, I mean, just me appearing on this podcast for like 30, 40 minutes. And if I just say this to the right person, it could change your life. So I really love this question. And the advice I would give them is, uh, so it is true that in your case, you might be starting late. You might be starting five years late. 10 years late, in some cases, even 15 years late. And the first step is to accept the situation you're in, but also recognize that you can catch up. And the reason for that is if you make the right decisions and if you make, and what I mean by right decisions is, if you make decisions that save you years, so you make three decisions that save you three years. You can make 10 decisions that save you 10 years. If you make these big, this right decisions, you can make up that gap. So, but that also begs the next question is, uh, what is the right decision? And I'll give one example of that. But uh, one was, you know, working with the mentor. So me working with that mentor saved me about I would say 18 months so even though I worked at Interact for three years I would say uh because I didn't really get any training from the company like you know formal training like you know if you work for Google Microsoft they give you like ridiculous levels of training but uh, Interact not so much and uh yeah I'd say I probably got about Two, two and a half solid years of training, thanks to that mentor, instead of one, even though I was in the company for three years. So, one is finding the right mentor who can save you one to three years. The second is choosing the right company. And what I mean by that is you need to find the right position in the right company where they will train you, they'll give you responsibility. And opportunities to continually grow as you hit certain milestones. So many people, even though they've worked at big corporation, well-known corporation, you could also say some of them are late bloomers in the sense that uh, they didn't have so much responsibility, they weren't giving so much unique challenges. So it's uh if you can put yourself in a situation where you're constantly getting put into new situations and solving new challenges and problems, you can definitely grow much, much faster. The other one is find people who have already solved the problems you're facing, because they're going to know the the straight line to get you where you want to go. So let's say, uh, I guess one example is, let's say you're an English teacher and you've been teaching for seven years, but you will like to become an HR manager. Let's say you join a company where uh, they don't have so much training. And in that way, you'll kind of go like, you'll kind of go like a zigging, zagging. You'll, you'll make a lot of wrong turns, but if you work hard, you'll eventually find your way. But if you find uh, the right coach, the right mentor, or the right company who can put you in a straight line, you can avoid going in uh, uh, all those, uh, let's say off-road journeys that end up uh, really just taking you back to where you were. So actually I should have described that at the beginning. (laughs) So you're on a road, you're driving to a destination. How can you go on a straight road or straight line as much as possible and not go on all these wild journeys?
1: So then just based on some of your experiences as an HR manager, Can you point to any common things that tend to hold people back from that growth?
0: Yeah, I think I have uh, three big ones in mind. And uh, the first one is they do not invest in themselves. And what I mean by that is, so not everyone's lucky enough to work at a company like Google or Microsoft, where they're going to just give you lots of high-level corporate training. And I'll probably include uh, Medukali in this slot. But uh, if you're not in one of those, you know top tier companies which has ridiculous amount of money to invest in your education training and development, uh, you need to invest in yourself after work hours. So that could involve taking online courses on management, uh, marketing, uh, training, whatever your field is, or reading books on it. The other way I see people not investing in themselves is, uh, I know quite a few career coaches and they end up not having enough clients. And it's so ridiculous because there's uh some I I don't know him personally, but I had a friend recommending, but I think it's like Sculpture Japan. Uh, and I have a buddy named John Cunningham, but uh, you know, you just talk with these career coaches and they're gonna help you get more money for salary. They're gonna teach you how to negotiate. Uh, They're going to teach you how to operate in that corporate environment, and uh, let's say, but it's so hard for them to find clients because so few people are willing to invest in themselves. So, I think that's that's the hugest one is uh, so few people invest their money and time to educate themselves, and they expect too much from their company to take care of them, but you know, only. You really like uh, companies that are making ridiculous amount of profits or are ridiculously huge can really have those in-house corporate level training. But, you know, most if you're working a small to medium business, they're not going to have those resources. So if you're in a small to medium business, you know, you got to invest in yourself because they don't have the resources to invest in you. And the other one I would say is a lot of one thing that holds people back is they don't know what excellence is. So what I mean by that is when I do with when I speak with more entry level entrepreneurs, it's uh, they don't they would say because they haven't experienced, you know, what running an organization with 200 people is like, they can't understand the level of excellence in it. and also. You know, like if you're doing marketing, if you've never met someone who's a world-class marketer, you really don't know the potential or the possibilities of what can be achieved. Or another one is salesperson. Like if if everyone on your sales team is average and you've never met like a a person who can develop, you know, like a hundred million dollar company, they can train the sales team and they just know everything in and out your that will stun your growth because you don't know what's possible
1: so you would say it's important to almost have a goal so find a person who's excellent in the area that you work in and try to emulate them
0: i would say that would probably be the, the poor man's version of mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and i was and i'll say like if you don't invest money in yourself you get what you pay for So I would highly recommend invest in a career coach who's going to teach you how to negotiate for your salary, who's going to help you deal with the internal politics and communication challenges and how to present yourself. And you're going to make so much more money in the long run. You're going to climb up the ladder faster and you're not going to waste all these years and it's going to reduce your frustration and satisfaction in life. So I have to give a shout out to my buddy, John Cunningham. So those in Japan, reach out to him and he can help you in your career. Uh, As for myself, I coach entrepreneurs. And if you work with me, uh, I'm going to blow your mind.
1: So a common thread of what you've been saying and what can kind of help late bloomers make up for lost time is just the ability to focus and focus on your goals But why do you think people tend to struggle so much in keeping that focus or maintaining it over a long period of time?
0: I think the biggest one, which I really sympathize with people, is not knowing what they want to do. And that's probably the biggest reason for focus. You know, if there's something you really wanted to do at all costs, you would be doing it now. And so, you know, you you do see a lot of, you know, famous, successful people who tout their horn, but in some ways they are lucky in that they were able to discover their reason of being at such an early age or time. So I think entrepreneurs, especially really successful entrepreneurs, underappreciate knowing what you want to do as a factor for their success. And another one is uh, there's also the dopamine issue. Hmm. So if you don't understand dopamine, you definitely should because it could change your life. But basically, uh, uh, if you do things that are pleasurable, the dopamine, your dopamine receptors in your brain go crazy, light off. But when you do things that are hard. So uh, I guess one thing is uh, so dopamine you watch or if you watch a movie where someone's successful you'll probably be, let's say, release some dopamine because you get the feelings of success without doing anything. Uh, Other ones, you know, playing video games, uh, drinking alcohol, uh, eating sweets, like, you know, all the good stuff releases dopamine. But, you know, having that conversation with an underperforming employee or, let's say, dealing with that employee who may has uh, anxiety issues or, uh, you know, that's that's not a fun, or who's going to get mad at you no matter what you say and avoid taking responsibility. <laughs> you know, that, that, uh, unless you're a sadist, you know, that's not going to reduce any dopamine there. So it's, uh, it's uh, if you get too addicted to the dopamine, you're going to avoid the hard things which is often the things you need to do right now. Those hard conversations, those, uh, you know, doing, understanding taxes, understanding investment, doing sales, getting rejected. Uh, They don't, let's say, those are the hard things that may not produce dopamine for you immediately, but those are the things you need to do. So if you do have, uh, I would really look into dopamine addiction and also look into dopamine fast. Yeah, I guess I'll mention one thing about other thing about dopamine. It's uh, when people mention uh, when people share your beliefs or they share or if they share your same political opinion or they share your uh, same uh, view on life or complaints, that also is pleasurable. So uh, and that kind of prevents you from meeting people with different ideas who can open up your mindset. And so uh, I think, and in that case, you might, I guess you'll say focus, but I would say probably growth speed. It'll slow down your growth speed. Doing the things that aren't sexy is sometimes the things you really need to focus on.
1: Mm -hmm, Definitely. And we're all wired the same way. We're all wired to seek that, seek out that dopamine, those quick fixes, those quick hits. But just being aware of that is a great first step to actually being able to be more intentional with your goals and how you want to spend your time to reach them. So I would definitely agree with that.
0: And if you don't have a clear goal, that's probably an area to focus on as well. You know, you might have to spend six months, one year, you might have to journal a lot. You might have to speak to various people. And, uh, and go through that journey. But once you find that thing that gives you passion, that makes you want to get up in bed and, you know, devote your life to or dedicate your time to things get much easier to focus. So if you don't have something to focus on now, you should probably focus on finding what to focus on first.
1: Yeah, do you have any advice on how to discover that Thing that you want to devote so much of your life to?
0: I think if you don't venture out of your comfortable environment, you might not find the thing that gives you, or I'll say you might not find uh, that thing. And what I mean by that is, I think it's a quanti- Or and some people they get lucky and they find it early. But if that's not your situation, I think it's a quantity issue. Meaning, the more things you experience, the more likely you'll eventually find it. But if you narrow the quantity that you're experiencing, let's say the longer you might uh, stagnate and just kind of float and drift.
1: So, would you mind telling us if you have a specific example of a communication breakdown that you've experienced that you think is due to culture?
0: Yeah, this is this is a really tough question because uh, I tend to focus more on individuals as opposed to culture. So it's a tough question for me to answer, but uh, I would say it's how long things take in Japan. So I wouldn't say there's a breakdown, but uh, you know, in Japan, it's all about building trust. It's getting to know a person and building that relationship. So one breakdown I have experienced is I knew the person and I have alignment. We have the same goals. I want to move forward. And uh, but they're like, oh, but such and such. I have to like, you know, talk internally. Then it's like, okay, what what questions can I answer that will help you internally? And it's, um, I wouldn't say it's, it happens more often in Japan, but it's a breakdown in communication be, because they have, even even sometimes if they are in a leadership role they can make the decision, they want to outsource the decision to the group. Whereas if I was dealing with a Western business owner, because they're the owner, they can make the decision right there immediately. They don't need to consult with their team.
1: Mm-hmm. that's definitely a great thing to be aware of
0: <laughs> and I will call it a breakdown because it's a it's kind of like we can make you this amount of money we can make you this amount of time but I need to discuss it's like what, what is there to discuss so I'll call it it would be a breakdown in my logic mm. but it's uh in this case it's uh from my western logic it's generating revenues is the greatest priority. Therefore, this decision is the most rational decision. But the communication broke down there because in this person's mind, generating the most amount of revenue in the shortest amount of time wasn't their number one goal. It wasn't their North Star metric. Their number one metric, North Star metric, was uh, team cohesion.
1: The most important thing is to know what the other person wants and how you can get there, even if it's a little bit different than what you're expressly going after or what you think they should be going after. Just it's important to know what they actually want. (laughs)
0: And I would say this would probably uh, I think people overcomplicate Japan, Mm -hmm. but I think regardless what country you're in, the first part is you just you have to figure out what the person's North Star metric is. What's the one thing that's guiding them? And once you figure that out, adjust your conversation or adjust your communication style around that and approach. Mm-hmm. I would like to answer one of your questions. Mm-hmm. First, I'll go into the question you had, which was uh, what advice would you give to people hoping to start in Japan? And uh I'm pretty sure a lot of guests have given a lot of conventional answers, like, you know, you know, you need to do something that. Uh, you really got to understand the market. You got to do a lot of market research. And uh, I would like to give some unconventional and maybe humorous examples. Sorry, I'm kind of a contrarian. And uh, I like to be, well, let's see, I like to be out of the box. But uh, so I guess what my semi conventional answer would be uh, if you plan to do business in Japan, do something that you have a competitive, competitive edge in that can easily be explained to Japanese people. (laughs) There's so many businesses who have great products that can't easily be explained to Japanese people because there's no, uh, something you can tie it to in their culture or language that would make it. uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So that's my semi it's semi obvious, but, uh, it's worth noticing because uh, it's out this uncommon knowledge. For one unconventional one, and uh, this is the approach that I took with my business coaching. It's uh, actually, I don't have any Japanese clients. And the reason was when I started my business coaching, uh, I had two goals. One is to work with interesting entrepreneurs. The second one is to make up the 50% of my salary that I was losing. I stepped down as a board member uh, at the end of September. So from October, you know, I lost half my salary. So how could I make it up quickly? And it was not, and it definitely does not involve Japanese business people. Uh, The reason is they're much more longer sales cycles. You have to build that relationship. So my conventional advice is don't target Japanese businesses and start off with foreign businesses because there's a shorter Sales cycle, and uh, so I, I think a lot of people. Of course, there's a smaller market size, but uh, with my coaching business, I've been able to regain my fifty percent of my salary cut, and actually, I'm making more money now than I was uh, one month ago because uh, my sales plan was uh, my north star metric was uh, find interesting clients and speed to make up that revenue deficit. And uh, another conventional advice is uh, if you're going to do business in Japan, maybe create a community first, then launch a business on top of that. So I think there's some people who do it for fintech. There's some people who do it for fitness. There's some people who do it for uh, business groups, entrepreneur groups, for coding. You know, create a community first. Uh, You'll get a lot of the bilingual Japanese people then that will help get you into the Japanese cell cycle much faster than coming uh, stage zero. And my last advice is a humorous example. Uh, I'm not sure if my buddy thought of this when he came up with it, but uh, uh, I have to give a shout out to my buddy, Bo Becker, but uh, he runs a company called Rewa Pharmaceuticals and his company has been in business for two years. But with a name like Raywell Pharmaceuticals, it sounds like a company that's been around for 100 years. So my humorous example of what to do if you're starting a business in Japan is choose a name that makes it sound like you've been in business for 50 to 100 years, and that might help open some doors to Japanese businesses. So Lydia, I hope those were some interesting and unconventional uh, approaches.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for sharing those. Definitely plenty of takeaways for my listeners in those.
0: Oh, uh, And yeah, to promote uh, my business. So my business is called ScalingYourCompany.com. Uh, it's spelled exactly as it sounds. And I help business owners with 10 million, so about 100,000 US in annual revenue up to around, or I'll just say uh, 3 million U.S. revenue, and even around 5 U.S. annual revenue. And I help them scale their company to 10 million revenue and above. I can help you with things like marketing, because I'm uh, very good at digital marketing. Uh, also recruitment, I would say I'm, I'm very, very good at recruitment and branding. I will say I'm probably one of the top for recruitment branding because uh I ran HR so I understand recruitment from an HR point of view but I can also do digital marketing to a high extent and I'm one of the few people who have, who can combine marketing principles with recruitment and HR and the last one is I ran operations I'd say for entrepreneurs like you know I can really save you like like even in like two hours, I could potentially save you one month to three months, uh, maybe even more, like, it's it's really hard to explain, like, uh, how different everything would be for you if you were to work someone who has solved a lot of complexity, like myself and me personally, rather than creating a large corporate environment. I really love 100,000 to 10 million. Like, I really, really love that area. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend working with someone like me. And uh, I'm very affordable. And my pay scale is uh, we start at uh, around uh, 14,000 yen per hour. And as I help you reach milestones like half a million, a million, my hourly rate increases. So uh, because I already have a successful company, I don't need to charge you consulting prices. And uh, I want to work with people for like two years, three years, five years. And the reasons consultants are so expensive is because they have to hire salespeople. They have sales cycles. But in my end, I'm not going to do any sales. It's just marketing and long-term clients. And therefore, you get the savings.
1: So I will put all the links to those resources in the description of the episode. So be sure to check those out as well. And yeah, I think we covered about everything we needed to today. So thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much. And for anyone who's listened to the end, thank you for putting up with the rants, but uh, hopefully there's some great takeaways that will help you scale your business.
1: That you enjoyed today's episode to learn more about tyson Bettina and his work be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode if you enjoyed today's episode go ahead and share it with a friend colleague or connection on linkedin to help spread the perspectives and information shared in the podcast and please remember to go ahead and subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using and also leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast if you would like to support the podcast financially Please check out the link to my new coffee page to help keep me well caffeinated and making content. As always, feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. Also, be sure to reach out if you would like to contribute as a guest on the podcast to share your own cultural insights into doing business in Japan. I'd love to hear from you directly, so if you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find a link to do that in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo.